Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturgis. 2020, 2020. I've got a list of all the 2020 cliche sermons you will not hear. And you'll be grateful for that. Man, what a ripe opportunity for a pastor. 2020, how many places can you go with that? I mean, you can probably 2020 vision, you know. I'm not Barbara Walters or Hugh Downs. And I mean, I can, we can just go lots of places with that. That's endless license for any soapbox I may want to grab. And can you believe it? In the marketplace of pastoral homiletics, I'm going to walk right by those wonderful things waiting to be plucked off the shelf. I come to this year with a heart, um, uh, and this Sunday, with just a heart, and getting some time to hang out with God and, um, and reflect. And what I'm sharing with you came by reason, by process of just personal devotion in an unlikely moment for me. And, um, and it I, it's gripped my heart for now 10 days or so, and I can't shake it. And so the, the sermon that I was going I mentioned a moment ago that I was going to speak next Sunday was going to be today, you know, and that is what will 2020 smell like? How to make your year smell good or smell bad? Or at least you'll know where the smell is coming from one way or the other. And so it looks like we pushed our way past that. Who knows? Maybe we'll come back to it next Sunday. Maybe we need to talk more about how we smell and, uh, and, and see how that works out. But <clears throat> it would seem at this point and on this Sunday that we should be well done with Christmas. But there's a problem that something seized me. And let me just lead you through the little journey. And I was rereading. It was after Christmas. And I was just rereading or going over. I wasn't actually reading it. Let me be very clear. I wasn't reading it at that moment. I was thinking my way through the two primary Christmas narratives, um, Mary and Joseph. Mary in Luke chapter 1 and Joseph in Matthew 1. And just having taught them and read them so many times, I'm pretty familiar with the sequence of it. And then I went actually back and read them both. <clears throat> but just in my reflection and um, in my by myself time, actually I was doing some exercise. I was in Lakeland, Florida, Brenda's parents' home, and went to a little fitness center there. And I was on this the elliptical machine trying to survive that. And... Um, and as I was doing this, this came to mind, and tears filled my eyes, and, and it would, I, I'm sure the people around thought I was having some crisis, or I was about to die on the elliptical machine, I don't know, you know, you know rescue the guy from the elliptical machine, I can wipe away tears, and I'm shaking my head and laughing out loud to myself, and there's, no, there's nothing going on, I did have earphones in, but there was nothing going on, and I thought, well, perhaps they'll just think it's attributed to that, and I'll get away with that, or who is he talking to, and, you know, all of those little reflections. But here's the thing that, that, that seized me. In both passages, uh, Mary <clears throat> and Joseph have an encounter with some supernatural force, an angel, uh, some expression of God's voice. And this little thing grabbed me. And it's one that you'll be very familiar with. And in both passages it says, and you will call his name Jesus. You're going to have a child. And you'll call his name Jesus. Now, you have to have walked through a 2019, perhaps similar to the 2019 that Brenda and I have walked through. I want to be very careful here. Um, 
I have survived 2019. Our marriage nearly fell apart. Brenda has been as mean to me in 2019. But only by the greatness of my spiritual fortitude have I been able to survive that and drag her through to a place of grace and realization. Why is everybody laughing? It just seems as though no one ever buys that whenever I say that. No, whenever you say you've had a tough year, one of the, there's two or three places that you go when you listen to the preacher guy talk. And thank God, I, I'm seriously, thank God, we have a wonderful marriage of 40 years. I, I feel like I, I won the lottery. That is not a phrase I use in divine amen. But, uh, but we have a really great marriage, and that has been a great grace because in the midst of everything else that would go on, it has been a place of respite and peace. And just recently... I told her that, I said the next, uh, matter of fact, we're doing a pastor's marriage thing in the week of Valentine's Day at a, at a church in Pennsylvania for pastoral couples and, and ministering marriage. And, and that I, I thought, in this little leap through Ephesians 5, by the way, it's the first Sunday of the year, can we just talk? Okay, good, we're going to, whether or not you like it. Um, that's what's going to happen. But in Ephesians 5, um, I don't have time to teach that, but I've always, I have taught for decades that Ephesians 5, as it speaks about marriage, it's a picture of Jesus and the church, and it is a picture about the husband-wife, wife-to-husband relationship. And it's a reciprocal thing. It's a reciprocal life of, of partnering. And, and here's where I get the phrase that I include in every marriage ceremony that I perform, and it is that. Lord, may I be a partner with you in the redemption of her life and of his life. I believe that's what marriage is. It's me partnering with God to live redemptively towards her, not to rule her, not to dominate her, not to boss her, not to instruct her, not to whatever. And, at, and yet at moments in each other's lives, we may provide direction and clarity and all of those things each for the other. But it's just to live in a sacrificial, redeeming sense towards her and her toward me. So having said that, any place that I see then, uh, just in the last two or three weeks, I thought, I'm going to go look at all the things that Jesus is. And Hebrews broadly refers to Jesus as being our Sabbath rest. And I've never thought of this until I turned to her, what was it, two weeks ago, I guess, I came to you and I said, you know, hey, I just had this thought today and i got to come and tell you that... I tested it against you, and I think you're it. And I want to tell pastoral couples, I've never said this before, and I want to tell couples that are married, so here it is, I didn't intend to talk about this at all, that living in the face of adversity, there's all sorts of things about make sure you have a Sabbath, make sure you have this, and we talk about time and days, and that's good, it is good to have that. But see, it says, when the Bible says that Jesus becomes our rest, and even more broadly, our, our Sabbath rest, he is it. Well, if the principle is, I am to be to her and her to me in marriage, what he is to us. Everybody got that? Then I go through all these things that Jesus is, and I've got a new list of things I get to pursue. It's not mandates placed on me. It's opportunities of redeemed love I get to express towards her and her towards me. And I said, you know, I have never thought of it this way, but no matter what we've walked through in 40 years, you have been a place of Sabbath rest for me. You're a safe place I can go to. I'm going to receive a word of encouragement, and I've told you about all of the words of direction that she's given. There's no better critique or critic in a positive sense in my life than her. 
but it's always given redemptively. It's always given with a projection towards where we're going, not where we've been. And she has been that. And I said, you know, I hope that I have been that to you as well. And of course she had to reciprocate and say, well, you are. But, um, you know, she was sort of obligated at that point. You can't leave it hanging out there. And whether or not I exhaust her day to day, she's not going to say it at that moment. So I got away with, a, with my own contrived compliment. You know, I really think that about you. Don't you think the same about me? You know, so <clears throat> I didn't say that, but she did say. And I thought, what a, what a wonderful picture that is of, of, of living the redemptive life together. Anyways, I chased that little rabbit only to assuage you that my mentioning of 2019 and the two of us facing things over this past year that have been exceptional. Um, uh, you know, the first place you're going to think is, wow, are they killing each other at home? And the answer to that is no. All right. Now let me move on. When we got to the end of the year, and here was the thing, I was all set for the new year. And I began, it was in that backdrop I'm reflecting on this year. I'm reflecting that going back to February, the church was flooded here with six inches of water because there was a broken place in the foundation on each side that we had not seen and that a downspout at the same time had broken. We had this 100-year deluge of water, and it was dropping right straight into a wide gap and crack. And if you'll notice right here, this is all dug out. Back there at the sound booth is ground level. This essentially became a swimming pool. It's all beneath the ground. Water went into the crack, came up here. And so until how long we were here, Hans, Mark, till four, five in the morning? And we were, now, if you saw Hans or Matt or someone stand up, and Randy, different ones, they're all young and strong. I am not the latter, for, former, and probably only partially the latter, but I wanted to keep up with all the guys. So I was gab grabbing 100-pound buckets of water, and, and we were literally in hours what a, a recovery service said would take days. By God's grace, we had done within hours. And it was a remarkable thing so that on Sunday morning, after the deluge, we were all able to come in here and not have an, a spontaneous baptistry, uh, baptism service here on the front. I mean, it was all gone and we were ready to go again and we fixed the problem and away we go. But the doctor said it was probably that because I noticed a twinge on the first 100-pound bucket of water I gathered. But I kept going anyways, had to be done. So it got worse and worse and worse that by the 10th day, I couldn't walk. Now, <clears throat> and it was like just something going, I was in a wheelchair and in bed um, for what, eight weeks, I guess. And, but the interesting thing about that is on that previous Thanksgiving, you may recall that my wife had a visitation of insanity and... Uh, was decided to do redneck yard skiing on a piece of plywood with her three, one sibling and two older, I mean, there are four old people doing this together. And they all fell down and she shattered her knee because one of the three large men, she being the only girl, fell right on her knee. I have the video of her knee going like that. And so she couldn't even have surgery for six months. So here's the deal, all of a sudden, I can't walk, she can't walk, we're both having wheelchair races around our house for eight weeks. And it's funny now looking back on it, but it wasn't then. I have a new sympathy and empathy for people, for handicapped people, and what a formidable task it is, and victory it is, just to say that you emptied the kitchen trash and got it out to the garbage can in the back that has two steps going down. I mean, it was formidable. 
It was formidable discovering that you have to crawl across the floor to get to the restroom or anywhere you're going to go if, until I got a wheelchair two or three days later. I would have never thought that in my life. So I go and then we have these surgical procedures and all the physical therapy and it starts to get to better. better. Only right after that, we race to Florida because my mom's hanging on the edge of death remarkably. Uh, she recovered. Great year. I could go on and on about things through this year. Now, I don't want to compare it because I don't compare. We don't do that. I live by Hebrews that says, hey, you haven't suffered yet unto blood, so get over yourself, pull up your socks, put on your boots, and live. That's how we live. We're not going, oh, my story is so bad. Let me show you my scar right here. It's so bad. You just don't live that way. It's wasted motion. You just get up and you go on. And we really do sort of live that way. But we don't tell you that. On Labor Day, I'm working behind my house in the heat. On the same day, the hurricane would be happening in the Bahamas. And working there with a young man who's helping me, it's just like, I don't know, what was it, Dylan? 100 degrees or more on the little hill behind my house. And we decided on that day, it was Labor Day, right? We're going to do something, and it was really strenuous physically. Uh, and, and as he pointed out, even for a young man, well, he looked over at me and he said, Hey, Pastor, your eyes are not bloodshot. They're totally red, like that Coke can over there, totally, like all blood. I thought, I am feeling a little dizzy. I walk down off the hill, spray myself with a cold water hose. All of a sudden, I feel this shooting pain down the side of my face, into my left arm, my left side, and I can't talk. And it's drooped and it's happening. So we're off to the hospital to find out what's happening. Well, they said in a technical sense, you didn't have a stroke, but here's what you had. You need to be careful. So I get past that, make sure I, I don't get dehydrated or all the things they told me that happened. I get to the Bahamas. I'm doing disaster relief work. I have three more of them. They have to fly me out on an emergency flight. You didn't know about that. And get me back here so I can go to the emergency room again. And the doctor says, you have to quit doing what you're doing. You're not 35. I said, got that. Things gone, and what you don't know is that two weeks ago, three weeks ago, tomorrow, on a Monday, I'm in the Bahamas doing disaster relief work and, and got a phone call that um, Brenda's had a stroke, and she's in the hospital, and they keep her there for a day and a half. So by Tuesday, that's just a skim across the surface. And then, and uh, as Paul would say, and besides that, there's the church of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Nobody's laughing with me. Okay, it'll, it'll come to you later, uh, I guess. I will tell you something that, you know, praise God, there are no side effects um, for either of us. For, <clears throat> praise God. Or residual side effects according, according to the doctor, to the doctor, to the doctor, to the doctor. You'll get that later, too. The um, um, there, um, so I'm in the doctor's office with her in, the, in one of the follow-up visits, and the PA is there, <clears throat> a young lady. She's just very bright and brilliant, very you know, sweetheart. And Brenda discovered that her, she had had something was wrong when she woke up and turned to ask Alexa, you know, the little Amazon device, what the weather's like. That's sort of what standard way. We start the day before we speak to each other. We talk to Alexa and God, and often in that order. And... Uh, and so she turns to speak to Alexa and discovers she can't talk. And, you know, and, and I don't want to be mimicking, but the, the doctor said, you know, you just couldn't talk. And so she, she did it. She said, oh, that's a, what's the weather like? You know, in a sort of fashion. 
And right when she was telling the PA that the PA was listening, and I said, and do you believe that Alexa said back to her, I'm sorry, I can't understand what you're saying. You probably had a stroke. And the PA said, Mike, that's amazing. Did that? See, you're not laughing because some of you actually believe that. That did not happen. And I said, Alexa called an ambulance, 911, and they came. She goes, no way. I said, you're my physician. That's scary. That's really scary, you know. And um, the, the, the point is, and here's the simple thing. You say, this is going to be a long sermon, bro. You haven't even gotten to your scripture and all this preamble. Hang on. It ends right here, really. So after all this happened, I'm thinking about the new year, excited about it. And all of a sudden, this just comes to mind in both passages. And I'm saying, okay, God, we're done with Christmas. I'm ready to move on from that. They said, call his name Jesus. In both passages. Matter of fact, Matthew uh, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. Meshiach is the Hebrew Messiah. Christos, Christ is the Greek term. But it means the anointed one. Jesus means the deliverer. The deliverer of the anointed one. Now just hang on to Tom's story here of the first Sunday of 2020. For me personally, the most significant teaching from last year that looms in my heart that I tell pastors and others when I talk to them is that the teaching from October the 13th, I looked up the date, you can go back and listen to it, and it's entitled, The Place Where the Oil Is Made. And it was a teaching about the Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane, the word Gethsemane means oil press. It was found in the mountain of Olives, on the Mount of Olives. It's appropriate then in that agrarian culture that there would be an oil press to squeeze fully ripened olives to get the oil from the olives. It's the place where the oil is made. But it would be also a beautiful picture of poetry because the oil would what would be used to anoint things in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament times. Um, But it was used to designate, and we have this little thing we memorized from teaching on the anointing last year, uh, prophets, priests, kings, and things. Those are who got anointed. Those voices that would declare, priests that would reconcile, kings that would execute the kingdom of God, and then articles of worship for the temple. And those four things become beautiful pictures of how we function. We as believers are to be a declarative voice prophetically of the purposes of God. And so he does anoint us to live and be that voice. Priests that would reconcile, create conversations between humanity and God and lead in worship and beloved very much as the priesthood according to 1 Peter. We are called to be that reconciling agent. Where you work, you are called to be that little subliminal subtle voice that is creating conversational opportunities between the people who are around you and a God they can't see or know. We have that priestly anointing. We've been set aside and given power for that. And then the kings who would execute the kingdom and the will of God, of course, Jesus preached nothing but the kingdom of God. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And that wonderful prayer ends, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. As the church in Matthew 16, we are called forth to summon 
forth the kingdom of God into the face of the efforts and strategies of hell while living on this planet. So very much we are anointed to walk as the kings of the Old Testaments have walked. And then they would anoint articles in the temple that were usually, that were uniquely used as vessels of worship that would do everything that would aid the process of sanctifying and repentance and confession and reconciliation to God. So you see in the New Testament when John would write a son of a priest uh, uh, that, that would write about John the Baptist and then the, the gospel writer John would write that we are the anointed in whom the anointing abides. What does that mean? That means very much like we have that prophetic voice of declaration. We have that priestly voice of reconciliation. We have that kingly voice of ushering in the rule and the righteousness of the kingdom of God. And then very much like the articles in the temple, we can be used at any moment for any purpose that God would designate in order to get people from the outer courts of sin into the holy of holies and the presence of God. What an amazing calling we have. And God says, for all of that, I have anointed you and I have poured out the oil of my spirit on you, in you, and will do it through you if you'll just make yourself available. That is who we are. Problem is, and you'll call his name Jesus, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. See, all that's swirling around in my ADD brain, and here's where it landed on me. I began to think about Mary. And Joseph. Matter of fact, in the Joseph record in Matthew chapter 1, it says, and when she was found, that word got me, when she was found. You know one of the greatest fears in humanity? Wherever we work, we live, people we're married to or with or family, but whatever, we're fearful of being found out. And we learned in a teaching on shame in the spring of last year that shame is essentially that that says I'm not enough. And we hope people don't find out that we're not enough. And shame happens when someone or a situation or an event begins to communicate to us, we're not enough. Shame happens. It segments us and causes us to want to retreat and hide from God. Read Genesis chapter 2 and 3. Both of them lived in the abject fear and terror of being found out for the better part of a year, nine months. They would have to go here, go there, return for a census. They went places. They, they would find themselves living, the child being born into something unimaginable. Just the whole thing. And see, we don't get that. Because we think, away in a manger, no crib for a bed. I can't believe I'm here. I don't care what he said. That's the version of the song we need to sing. We sing all these Christmas carols. There are two people that live through chaos. The fear of being stoned, rejected, exiled, cut out, cut off, kicked out from a community that every belief said, when the things happen to you that have happened to you, there's only one answer, and here's what's going to go on. Literally hiding in that. And here's what I laughed out loud while working. I laughed right out loud. I thought, I shook my head. I said it out loud to God. Do you have the audacity to put them through that year from hell and then tell them what name they're going to put on it. Ooh. Of course, the conversation's not done about the time you say something like that to God. He's not finished. See, because we love Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, God has highly exalted him above every name. A name above every name. 
The name at which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Woo! Feeling that. Yeah. But here's your takeaway. You want, this is your new tattoo. You are not ready to declare God the name of Jesus over every place you're going to go until you can declare the name of Jesus over every place you've been. They were holding a baby at the end of their 2019. A baby that had brought nothing but chaos. I wanted to do a really bad lip sync version of the Capital One commercials. What's in your wallet? And replace it with, what's the name of your 2019? What name would you put on it? That's where my tears sort of turn to laughter. I'm there on the elliptical, and I'm telling God five or six names I got for 2019, and none of them are, the anointed one has come to my home. That's the name he said, Jesus, the Messiah. I want you to call his name Jesus. I said, God, I'm at the end of 2019 on the other side of Christmas, and I can tell you the things that have been birthed into my life. I'm holding this. Let me tell you my first name that I have for 2019. It is, I don't know the Hebrew word for this, but I'll find it. I'm sure glad that's over. Anybody? Anybody got that name on it? Now the next two, I can't even tell you what they are because it was a private conversation between God and me. You know, I've got names for 2019. What the heck was that? Oh. Or how about 2019, the year of the stroke? Oh, that's a, what's 2020 going to be like? I'll call an ambulance, you know. And that, come on. What name have you put on 2019? Because if the only name you put on it is, I don't even think about that. I'm done with 2019. No, beloved. Until you're ready to take 2019 and put hit what he tells you to put on it. And here's the name he wants us to put on it. And it is the name I'm putting on it. And it's why I said, There is a sweet anointing, anointing, anointing in this sanctuary. Until we're ready to look back at 2019 and we can finish letting hell speak, take its best shot and say, where are you, Dan? Come back out. How far are you away? Either Dan or his clone. I've been watching the Star Wars series, binging on it over Christmas. I have all new theology of Star Wars. I'm going to tell you before Easter. Okay, I'm back. Back. Recover with me. See Till you look back at 2019, here's what happened. Here's what you prayed for that didn't come to pass. Here's the things that came your way that you didn't see coming. Here's the things that ambushed you. I'm going to stand on this side on January, what's today, the 5th? And say, I'll 
I'll raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I'm going to raise a hallelujah as far back as I can see. I'll raise a hallelujah. Because here's the deal. He's the name above all names. And Philippians 2 uses the same name. Jesus. Until you're willing to put the anointed that has come to my home on where you've been. I don't know that you can project it about where you're going. Because you're due to live on repeat. Maybe I just preached to myself this morning so it will be a confession of all you can expect. Maybe it's not for anybody in this room. I bothered to look up, just for the fun of it, three or four Bible names. You see, because when you named people in the Bible, they named them about circumstances. You want to know what Joseph, remember that Joseph, not the one that's married to Mary, the one in the Old Testament that got sold into slavery by his 12 fleabag brothers, remember that? That guy in the Old Testament, he finally moves in, becomes the prime minister, 13, 17 years have passed. He has two kids, Manasseh and Ephraim. (laughs) The first one named Manasseh is, I'm trying to forget what happened. How many would like to name your kid that? How many would like to be named that? You get to the end of 2019. What name would you put on it, Tom? Manasseh works for me. Manasseh. I I like Manasseh. Manasseh. I'm trying to forget what happened. So he has another child. It's called being fruitful in a double ash heap. Ephraim. How would you like that one? What's your name, Ephraim? What does it mean, ash heap? But things sprout from it. Oh, how's that working for you in your job application? Well, it's going great. Ephraim, Um, 1 Samuel 4, a child is born, so you know what this one means, perhaps if you've been around church, you get named Ichabod, that means God has departed, how many would want to live that life, what's your name, God left, what what, what does that mean, well he left right when I came, and so that's what my mom named me, that's your name, God left? Yeah, well, did you cause it? No, but my mom just named me that. Your name is God left. Yeah. Well, even more important, God left and all his glory too. That's what it really means. In other words, any hint of God is gone. That's what your name, that's what my name means. You see, oh, how about this one? Abishag. That's a girl. Abishag. Hi, Abishag. How are you? What does your name mean? My father is a wanderer. A wonder? Yeah, it means he played around. Are you the product of that? No, 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 no. I, I think the lady he's married to is my mom, but my mom was so mad that she found out right before I was born, so she named me Playboy. But you're a girl. Yeah, I know. But your name means my father is a one. See, in the Bible, they named their kids something to memorialize the event. Now, if you're Mary or Joseph, what are you going to call this child? 
Whatever the Hebrew word is for, okay, I can make one up. Thump, thump, bam, bam. What does that mean? I nearly got stoned. Okay, we can just name up words. What is his name? I was scared to death the whole time I was going to find out. What's his name? The Hebrew word for, seriously? The Holy Spirit made you pregnant? What's that Hebrew word? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Come on. What are you going to name where you've been? See, we're with 2019. Shut the door. That's over. Woo! We want to sing the Michael McDonald song. I keep forgetting. We're not, you know, we're not there anymore. Come on. What I want to declare to you this morning is this. I believe there is a name above every name. But we don't just get to put it on the good stuff. We get to look hell right in the face. We get to look hell right in the face and say, about 2019, there were some good moments, but there were some tough ones. But I'm going to raise a hallelujah. See, because as I stand here and I'm willing to look back at 2019 and say, Father, I remember back here what happened in February. I remember March and April. I remember the surgery. I remember walking through that. I remember Brenda's surgery in April and the recovery from that. I remember the uncertainty. See, you don't even know right now. Right beneath this little upper thing on her shirt is a heart monitor. She's wearing for three more days. Because what they discovered is she has a hole in her heart that will require surgery to be fixed. Well, that's clearly not behind the 2019, no. But I know the anointed one lives in my house. And I know the anointed one has come to live in my home. And he lived there in February or March. I know he lives in her body. I've laid hands on her and said, Father... In the name of Jesus, you said you'd give us a taste of the age to come. And in the age to come, she won't have a heart that has a hole in it. I don't know what she'll have. But I know right now here today on January 5th, you can touch her heart and you can close up that hole that she's had from birth that she didn't know about. And we just found out about and it's okay. But even if you don't, she will walk through it and you will be the anointed one that not only lives in our heart, but our house. But you're the anointed one that lives right there in her heart. You're the anointed one that will be there when the physician does what he does. You're the anointed one that's been there every moment of our life and I've just got to shake myself and in the moments I thought I was alone, I was not alone. The anointed one was living in my home, abiding in my home, speaking to my heart because can I say something else to you? I will mark until I die. I don't know that there has been a greater year in my life personally when I have experienced, understood, peered into the multi-refracting wonder of God's word and seen more things than I've ever seen in any moment in my life when the word of God has become more alive to me than at any other moment in my life those moments of grace and wonder have been beyond anything we might otherwise I might otherwise experience and I'm not telling you that because I need to put frosting on a year we'd call horse poop I don't need to do that I'm here to tell you and to testify Yeshua HaMashiach. Jesus, the Messiah. That the anointed one lives in my home. The adversaries tried to convince me in 2019 he wasn't there, but he was. He was, he is, and he will be. He will still be the name that is above every name thing that I will face in 2020. He's been there to survive. Hallelujah. You lift that up to him, Deb. Mark, in the name of Jesus. All right, I'm done. Stand up. I'm done testifying. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.